Hello, I'm Des Dearlove. This is a Thinkers 50 podcast. My guest today is Alf Wren, professor and innovation researcher. Alf, welcome. Thank you. Lovely to be here, as always. European Business Forum, we're, we're, we're talking at the European Business Forum. I, I did catch your session, it was a fantastic session. What's it like to be at the European Business Forum? It's lovely. I mean, uh, it's, I do a lot of these uh, various kinds of fora and, uh, and conferences, but uh, this is, it's fun because you'll have some of the top management stars in the world. I mean, uh, Michael Porter, really looking forward to that. Uh, I was just listening to Rita McGrath. So you have these top names, but you also have a lot of kind of interesting people you wouldn't normally run into. I mean, uh, just on the panel, uh, kind of really interesting Lebanese global thinker, uh, an Oxford don of all things. Uh, so, so there is this diversity and, and uh, uh, interesting vibe to it. And also, I think that these events, the Thinkers 50 events, they're good because they push us who are kind of in the management thinking field, push us to be a little um, better. Because, frankly, we could go to a normal business conference and then you basically do a rerun of your greatest hits. I mean, you can do that. I'm not saying I would have ever, ever done that, but you could. But, uh, but when you come somewhere where you know somebody like Rita McGrath is in the audience, you can't just bring your, your B game. You, you really have to, to push. You really have to kind of go, okay, is this just pablum, the, the normal buzzwords, or, or am I going to do something that, that might even, I'm not saying I'm trying to impress Rita, but, but you, it keeps you on your toes. And I like that. We, we've tried to do that with the format as well. We are, mm-hmm. we are trying to not get the stock speech out of people. We want people to be stretched a little bit. That's the whole point. That's the promise, really, of what the Thinkers 50 brand is about. We want to be able to start turning ideas into action. Now, the challenge we set for you, we said, mm-hmm. basically, what is, what is mm-hmm. the big challenge facing yeah. business at this point? Well... It's, of course, this is, is a, there, there are many. I mean, it is, if anything, it is a, a plethora of possibilities. Uh, but the thing I kind of have taken as my thing to bring uh, is that I'm, I'm an innovation researcher. And uh, obviously, innovation has been the panacea, the, the kind of the, the perfect medicine to every illness. No, there is no problem small enough or big enough that you can't say, innovation will solve it. Uh, and, and I've gotten really bored of that. And I've gotten bored of it not just because I work in the field and, and kind of am inundated with innovation books and innovation tweets and innovation LinkedIn groups and so on, but also because I'm sensing in organizations, even good ones, something I've started to call innovation fatigue. That is, people have heard these stories so many times. They've been subjected to often the same examples so many times. We don't need to hear about Apple one more time. We don't need to hear that Elon Musk is great. We know he is. Let's kind of leave that be. And I think people are getting tired and they're getting bored and they're they're experiencing, even though they can't always put words on it, a sign of lack of meaning in the innovation concept. So what I try to bring is to say, okay, innovation is under threat. There is, it has been emptied out by, by a lot of kind of innovation consultants and their buzzwordy ways. Uh, we innovation scholars have been a little too lazy. We've kind of, okay, we have disruptive innovation now, and, and we have the classic Everett Rogers model, and, and we have crossing the chasm, so ah, let's just keep peddling that to, to kind of corporate audiences. And I'm kind of saying, no, we need a better, fuller conversation. And also, we need to be aware of just how big the problems are. And 
there's this concept in economics, alternative costs, which is almost completely gone out of the innovation conversation. That is, sure, it's fine that in every city I go to, I can now find an app where I can order food to my hotel room or my apartment. Uh, in big cities like London, there is a there is multitude of these apps, and that's of course nice for me. But at the same time, I'm struck by the fact how easy my life is, how many people are trying to create toys and services for me, middle class, not rich by any uh, standard, but, but reasonably kind of well-to-do, uh, and that we still have to deal with the fact that an enormous amount of people do not have functioning hygienic toilets, do not have access to clean water. 800,000 people, children actually, 800,000 children die of diarrhea every year. And I have my choice about 20 restaurants who will send me uh, cooked meals at the press of a button. So there is a mismatch there. And the cost of developing everything from talking uh, uh, speakers, I have Alexa in my apartment, to smart socks or whatever kind of inanity the Internet of Things uh, craze has created, uh, that this actually has a cost. We put money into developing these products and services, money into developing these toys, money into the fact that I can buy innumerable drones for my son whilst children his age are dying because they don't have access to fresh water. So this, what you're talking about really is we're talking about the, the, the misapplication of innovation. Uh -huh. it's, being, it's being squandered. We're talking about a lot of money though, aren't mm -hmm. we? I mean, you put some numbers to it and I, and it, I was struck when you compared that to the, the, the costing of the Apollo program. For I, that was that came to me when I when I saw that we were talking about moonshots at yeah. the European Business Forum, and I remembered I had a note of it somewhere, and I went through my my kind of notes, and I realised yeah, the Apollo program, all of it, when they did the kind of the final tally in seventy one, uh, if you translate that to today's money, it's about one hundred thirty five billion dollars. I mean, it could be one thirty six, could be one thirty four, but around that. And, and that sounds, of course, like an enormous amount of money, 130 billion. But at the same time, taking the OECD figures for how much we spend on R&D, which is about 2 trillion, that is 2,000 billion, and then- A you, year. A year, a year, annually, yeah. And then using kind of what conversion rate you want, because of course, innovation expenditure is bigger than R&D expenditure. You, if you want to be very kind of careful, you could say $3,000 billion. But that's the bare minimum. I personally would peg it much higher, possibly even as high as $5 trillion. But, but let's keep $3 trillion. And that is 22 moonshots, if you kind of think about the Apollo program. 22 moonshots. A year. A year. That we could, that we could yeah. be making. We could be, if we had the ambition, mm -hmm. if, if mankind had the ambition, we could. So if, we, if each of those moonshots was yeah. perhaps one yeah. year we looked at eradicating poverty, if one year we looked at, uh, you know, Clean water for everyone. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Imagine, imagine yeah. what could be done. And obviously it's not so easy that because obviously companies need to look a little at their own innovations. You can't just take that money. But it, it puts it into focus just how much resources we have. That is, uh, sometimes uh, 
historians of technology and innovation have tried to calculate when were we at our most innovative. And it's, of course, a tricky question because how do you measure innovation and what do you compare it with? And all these measures have been criticized. But there is uh, Hubner's uh, famous article, which basically said, well, if you just look at technological innovation and use the number of people we have in the, on the planet, we were at our most innovative at about 1876, and it's been downhill ever since. Now, of course, this is a flawed uh, kind of argument because it's not just about technological development and it's not just about the number of people on the planet. But it raises the intelligent question. With this amount of money we have, with this amount of people we have, with, as an academic, I'm always raising this, this amount of PhDs we have, what could we demand of innovation? What should we demand? Because now we're kind of going, okay, the apparatus rolls on and, and oh, um, hmm, this time I got one more image manipulation app. Uh, I'm hoping for something better next time. But we don't have this societal conversation that these resources, or at least a slice of these resources, should be directed towards solving the great global problems, the, the wicked problems. If you could only take, let's say, the same amount, $135 billion, and slice that somehow out of that big innovation cake and say, okay, clean water for everyone, $136 billion, who has an answer? That, at that point, quite a lot of academics would go, hello? <laughs> I'll, I'll, one billion, I can do a lot with that. A lot of companies would go, well, well, five billion, we could do this. I mean, we could, we could actually start developing something if we had that moonshot thinking. And that kind of would require that we accept that we aren't doing as well as we could. And that's, of course, a tricky thing for companies to accept, that, that we have, in a sense. In a sense, I would say innovation has failed the world because we've solved so much, but not the right things and not for the right audiences. It was interesting when you were making your point in the session that at the end of the session, one of the managers said, you know, um, I feel almost I feel ashamed and, and I will try to do better next year with, with what we spend our innovation on because we are spent, we are, the word was frivolous, I think, got, yeah. got used. We're, we're innovating in, in frivolous directions. Now, so that begs the question, what, this guy, when he goes home, I like, I'd like to think a lot of people will take that away from mm -hmm. your, from your mm -hmm. session, from the session we had today. When they go back to the office next week, tomorrow, mm -hmm. what can they actually do? I think that just having had that kind of sensation, that kind of, oh, maybe we're not looking at the right things, is in a sense enough. I do, because I do believe that people in organizations, they want to do good stuff. They want to do great things. Uh, even though some of my more critical colleagues kind of think of CEOs as these money-grubbing, uh, horrible, almost satanic characters, I've never met a CEO who didn't want to do good. Most of them want to do good, but obviously, uh, when you're a CEO, particularly if you see a big company, you're always putting out forest fires. You're always putting, uh, kind of, think, have to think about, oh shit, the numbers are coming up again, and, and oh, this. You don't always have the time to kind of get this big picture thinking. And then something like the European Business Forum, where they can kind of go for two days and go, okay, I'm not looking that much at my mail. I don't care if you can't work together, children. You, you, daddy's on his kind of days off now. And can get for a moment that, shit, yeah, maybe I could use the millions we still have in our budget and do something for, let's say, uh, find a new product that can uh, be sold to um, 
for, for instance, to, to solve water issues or uh, something that would uh, help the elderly or, or we might actually think about how we relate to the big uh, migration patterns in this world. And I don't think we, at an event like this, or something like Thinkers 50, that's about what I expect we can do. We can, we can give the kindling, we can, we can spark an idea, but we have to have our trust in these CEOs that it might take a week, it might take a year, it might take three years, but at some point the fact that they've been subjected to these ideas will change something. And if we keep plugging at it and keep plugging these ideas, we can be part of a shift in the world. But I think we need to have humility uh, as well in relation to this. I, I don't expect anyone, just because I've been talking for 15 minutes, to go out and, oh, I'm sorry, I've squandered my life, I shall now go and, and save the rainforest. But if I can get a CEO to kind of go, okay, I would like to get numbers on what we're doing for waterways, uh, or in what way we might be uh, polluting waterways, my God, my job is done. I mean, I, I, then I have done something meaningful, something valuable. Um, and we at the Thinkers 50, you know, we talk about, you know, ideas can change the world. So we will have done our part as well if we've, if we've brought you into contact with somebody who, who has another thought. But in the end, the action must be with them. Our friend, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. That was a Thinkers 50 podcast. Thinkers 50 podcasts are produced by KDH Creative.